We have two weeks to go in our current study in discipleship, and while we're not doing a specifically a Palm Sunday reading today or, or focus, we are looking at themes that are familiar with Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was the day that Jesus, is, as that passage from Luke that Catherine read, uh, he came into Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey, a, a, a an, not an infant, but a juvenile donkey, one that had never been ridden on before. And there is great symbolism in that because it fulfilled Scripture that you will see your king coming to you humbly riding on a donkey, not on a great war horse, not with splendor and armies around him, but he came in on a donkey. And the, his saddle was the robes and coats of his followers. And they would lay down even their robes in front of him as he rode forward so that the dust would not get kicked up. And they got the palm branches and they laid it down before him so that they could protect the, the journey in. And there was great fanfare and great celebration. And what's going on is there's this conflict of his humility, and yet His sovereignty. His glory, His greatness, you could say. That He comes in and He is, he is great. He is greater than the priests and the Pharisees and those that would complain about the people cheering for Him. And He is, he is challenging the ruling authorities who, as He puts it in other places, Seek the chief seats, the places of honor. And here he is, the Savior, the Creator, the Sustainer, coming to them on a, on a humble animal. And he's coming to them humbly. And this is, a, this is a struggle between God and the world. Not that God's struggling too much, you know. But it is what He's working with us, and I think we struggle with quite greatly. That, that we have an attitude and a thought process that those who are great deserve special treatment. That those who are, have an elevated position receive elevated honors over all other people. And, the, and that people that aren't so great can be treated poorly because, well, they're not that great. And, and this happens in the world all the time. We give, you see somebody, I remember this story when I was getting my security guard license a long time ago, don't have it, uh, but it was, it was in, the, in, the, in the sidearm training and the shotgun training and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we were told a story about a guy because there was a lot of don't do this, you'll go to jail type. If anybody's gotten your concealed carry license, you know it's mostly what you need to do to make sure you don't go to jail. And one of the stories was about a guy who, fresh with his concealed carry license, saw two bikers, rough-looking guys, in a shootout against some businessmen in nice clothing. This guy thought, well, I'm not going to with those nice businessmen who obviously were being attacked by those rough 
Somehow in, the, in all the chaos, the businessman got away. Out of there. He was by himself. It was about that time he discovered the two bikers were undercover officers. And he had just assisted a couple of drug people. I don't know, you know, drug smugglers, I don't know what you call them. He had just gotten on the wrong side of the law. Why? He judged. He saw two men that looked like him, and he thought they must be the good guys, and he looked at two other guys that did not look like him, and he said, well, they must be the bad guys. And he got himself arrested that day. We make those kind of judgments all the time, don't we? We wonder amongst ourselves, who, who deserves special honor? You know? and, and the disciples, they, they had similar thoughts. And uh, what we're going to look at today is, is Jesus is teaching about this idea from uh, chapter 22. It's during what we call the Last Supper. It's the last meal Jesus had. I, uh, we really should call it the Last Supper because he has more later. But it's the last one before his death. And that's why we call it the Last Supper. It's the last time he was with his disciples and he was gathered with them and eating with them before he was arrested. And he's explaining to them about how he has just taken the, the, or instituted the Lord's Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper when we take the bread and we take the cup. He has instituted it. He's explained it to them. And then he tells them that one of them that has just participated in this with him is going to betray him. And the disciples start arguing amongst themselves, who's going to do it? I'm not going to do it. I would never betray him. Who is it? And somehow in this conversation about who is the worst of us, who is the lowest, dirtiest dog of us that he would betray Jesus, they somehow get into a conversation or an argument, a dispute, about which one is the greatest. And you can see how they would do that, right? We're talking about who's going to betray him, and I wouldn't do it, and, and why not? Well, I love him. I, you, you couldn't even think. I what all of you guys do. I'm more loyal to him than all of you guys. I would never betray him. And you can see how it would work into a dispute amongst them of who is the greatest. And so in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, and, and it's a short little passage we're going to look at today, 24 through 27, we're going to see how this dispute works, and then what Jesus says to them. So in verse 24, there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Now, the dispute is about who's the greatest. And notice, Jesus doesn't say, none of you. He doesn't say, you really shouldn't be. He doesn't really even tell them they shouldn't be considered about or wondering who's the greatest. His focus isn't so much on who is the greatest, or even how do you become the greatest. His starting point with them is an acknowledgement of the reality, and the reality is that some people are greater than others. 
the reality that he is working with is that some people are greater than other people. Now, what do we mean by this? There's a reason why I'm putting this into quotes. What do we mean by this? Well, you could take the quotes away. Some people are just greater. You know, uh, that's why they have the arguments about who is the greatest of all time in any sporting event possible. Because there's somebody who has the highest uh, abilities, the most championships, the one who, no matter where they went, can do something good. Whether you're playing for the dirtiest uh, head coach ever, or if you go down to the Sunshine State, you're going to win a Super Bowl. You might just, as much as it pains most people to say it, you might just be the greatest. There are some who are the greatest. You have the greatest chess player, the greatest mathematicians, the greatest minds. We have those. What, what Jesus is talking about here, though, is not that the, 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 the best so much as those who have a position of authority, those who are, is the idea of the one who has the most or the, the biggest spread, you might say. And there are people who are greater. There are people who are greater everywhere. There are people who are greater in the church. There are some people who, if they have an opinion, that opinion can sway an entire body. You might be somebody that if you had an idea, nobody's going to listen to it, but then if somebody else has that exact same idea, well, it just became the greatest idea ever. Why? They're greater than you. I'm sorry. Stick around long enough, work hard enough, be in everybody's life enough, you might become that person too. You know, there are certain people that we bow to. Yeah, I know some of you can think of, you know, I would say Miss Emma, Mr. Bill. They've left us, but some of the things they said still lead us and guide us. I would say Mr. Tom. He, you know, if he had a thought, it could happen. If he didn't think something was a good idea, it could die, even if it was a good idea, for no other reason than his opinion had a lot of clout. There are people in this world who are greater than others. There are some who have great positions of authority and other people who have very little positions of authority. And Jesus is not arguing with that or disputing it. If anything, he's the one who creates it. As he says, I create the lame. I create the deaf. People who have, by his own creation, lower positions. Especially in his time, because they couldn't do the things everybody else could do. There are some people who are greater. And what he tells us is that uh, his focus is not so much on, on becoming greater, or even trying to not be greater, or even really a, a pathway for how can we, if I find myself not to be one of the greater, how can I become greater? I think sometimes we read this passage and we think of it as a way to become great in the kingdom of God. Right? He says in verse 26, It is not this way with you, but the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, uh, and the leader like the servant. Now, he's not telling us that, that the one who would become the greatest, there are other passages where he does say, if you want to be the greatest, you must be servant of all. But notice here he's saying, it is not this way with you. The one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest. And the youngest there is the same word. 
moon from, the newest person, the, the most recent. And you know how it is if you get a new job and you show up, you're not going to be trusted with the most important things, are you? You're going to be trusted with the lowest things. You're going to be asked to carry stuff. You're going to be asked to fetch stuff. You're going to be asked to hold stuff, maybe. But you're not going to be asked to do the most detailed technical work. You have to prove yourself. And then you get handed greater and greater responsibilities and opportunities. The, the newest, the youngest, is the one who carries everything. And what Jesus is saying is that the greatest, the one who is the master of the area, the one who knows everything and does the best work, if they're a Christ follower, they're going to become like the youngest. In other words, they're not going to be too great to carry something. They're not going to become so great that they can't fetch something. They're not going to become so great that they can't hold something for somebody else. The greatest in Jesus' way of doing things doesn't set themselves apart. They become like the youngest. And then the, the leader, the one who is out in front, should become like the servant, the one who serves at table, the one who kicks up a lot of dust moving around and doing this and this. He's not saying, and in fact what he is saying is that serving is not the path to greatness. It's not the path to it. If we have it in our heads, well, I'm going to serve everybody so that I can become great, our motivation is wrong. Our heart attitude is wrong. Instead, wherever you are, in whatever place you find yourself, in whatever condition you are, it's okay if you're great. It's okay if you're not great. Some people are great in one place and not great in another. Some people are not great and they, they grow up into greatness. Some of it is just about being around long enough. You start to have an attitude, uh, people respect you, they come to you, they ask you for guidance because you've been around, you know things. But what Jesus is saying is that when that happens to us, we shouldn't take advantage of it and we shouldn't have an attitude that I am somehow better than you. But that the one who is greatest must become like the youngest. This is completely contrary to the way of the world. That's what he, he begins, and he notices as they're disputing, as they're arguing, they're trying to think of, well, who's the greatest? And, and Jesus has recognized that they're greatest, even, as I said, he even creates some of that. There's inequality even in his disciples. He's got 12 of them, but three of them he calls out special and takes with him on special trips. One of them he even made more special than those three, than those other two. Only one of them does he say, I want you to restore, I want you to, to, to bring your brothers together afterwards. I want you to help. Once you've been you know, uh, sifted, I want you to help bring them back together. Only one of them did he say, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. He obviously elevated certain guys. That doesn't make the other guys that we can't remember their names. That doesn't make them less. They had their own jobs to do. They had their own responsibilities. It just means that Peter had his. And so Jesus talking to Peter, knowing that Peter at some point, well, first, the very next thing after this is he's going to tell Peter, Peter, you're going to betray me. <laughs> he, he gut punches him in a way. But as he's preparing Peter for what he is going to go through and what he'll be doing in the future, 
he tells them that the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. This is what we all experience, that those who are in a position of authority, those who are great in our world, they kind of lord it over you. Right? Go get me coffee. That's what you're good for. Go get me coffee. Get out of my way. I have the right of way. That's what the the kings of the world do. They, they lord it over those that they have authority over. They, in fact, he says, those who have authority over them are called benefactors. Doers of good deeds. Or do-gooders. And I, and I thought about this as we think about that they're, those that have authority are called benefactors. What do we call the people that we elect to government? What do we, what do we call them? One of the terms, I mean, you might have some terms that we don't need to hear today, but one of those terms that we call them public servants. You ever thought about that? Public servants. Do you feel like they serve the public very much these days? But this phrase, public servants, is a carryover. It shows just how much Christianity has influenced our country. That we still call them. What a crazy idea. I don't know that they call that... You know, people who are, are, are magistrates or, or who are, are in charge of countries and states and, and cities and other places. I don't know that they call them servants. But we have this idea that we call them public servants, even if they don't serve the public. We still use that phrase because of this idea that has been ingrained in our country since its roots. Since so many people who were part of the founding of it were Christians, they had an idea, an attitude of we are here to serve, not to be served. We're public servants. We see the lie in our own country today when those, those who are public servants become public wealth. You know, they get rich off of their service. They become great. They expect honors and, and people to speak a certain way. I remember one senator getting upset they weren't being called senator because a general had the audacity to say, yes, ma'am. Don't call me ma'am. I'm a senator. I worked hard to become a senator. You call me senator. That's not service. That's not becoming like the one who serves at table. That's not like becoming the youngest. That's lording it over those that you have authority over. And what, what Jesus is telling us, and I love it here in verse 26, it is not this way with you. He doesn't say it shouldn't be this way with you or it must not be. No, it is not this way with you. That if we are followers of Him, we won't operate that way. That we won't lord it over. We should never have an attitude of, well, that person is so great. They must be right. One of the reasons why so many churches today are having trouble with abuse in their their system. Because those who are uh, in charge... They are treated with, I'm always going to mispronounce it, so just accept I'm mispronouncing this word, deference. Or did I get it right this one time? <laughs> they're, they're, they're treated with deference. They're, they're treated special, and so we, we ignore what they're doing, and we, we give them allowance because they know better than we know. And it's so wrong. They can be wrong just as anybody can. And Not only that, but they shouldn't have an attitude of I'm placed higher than you and you need to listen to me. Because he says the one who is greatest among you must become like the least. The leader like the the ones who lead should be 
coming like that. And what he's, what he's saying here is, is if the greatest people should be servants, what does that mean for the rest of us? We should all be servants. Our whole outlook on the world should not be, how do I get into a position where I don't have to do something anymore? Our whole outlook on the world should be, how can I continue to serve? Where can I serve? Who can I serve? And, and we should never get to the place where we don't have to serve anymore. I've done that. I've paid my dues. I've moved on. No, the greatest must become like the youngest, the, the one who leads like the one who serves. And, and I'm kind of annoyed. My, my Bible translation makes it the servant, but it's really the one who serves. And then we get that repeat in verse 30, uh, 27, the one who serves. But as, as followers of Jesus, no one is exempt from serving. The greatest, if the greatest are supposed to do that, so are the least. And I truly do believe that if you are serving, you'll rise up. It's an interesting thing that I I shared with you all. I did a survey back in January. We're looking to identify within the members who have been in the church for a few years, uh, new leadership. And I said I was surprised. And one of the things that surprised me, it only surprised me initially, and then I thought about it and I realized it makes sense that this person has been identified by several people as somebody I feel like would represent me well. It's because it's a person who has been serving actively and has been having a lot of interaction with a lot of people. And so I I wasn't even thinking about it, but it made sense. Because they've been serving. They've been serving many people. Many people think this is somebody who would represent me. So serving is not the path to greatness necessarily, but it it definitely can make you greater in a lot of people's eyes. But as followers of Jesus, all of us should be finding a way, striving and looking for the way that we might serve. No one is exempt. And that's what Jesus is saying. In verse 27, he says, who is greater, the one who reclines or the one who serves? And he even answers it. Isn't it the one who reclines at the table? He acknowledges that the world is such that the one who is at the table who is being served and waited upon is greater than the one who is serving. In our way of doing things, the Lord of the manor is greater than the butler. Although, it's kind of funny because the butler knows more about the manor and goes everywhere. And oftentimes tells the Lord of the manor, you can or cannot do that but always in respectful ways. Always because I'm just trying to help. But Jesus then, he says, is not the one who reclines at the table, but I am among you as the one who serves. I am here as one who serves. Now what is he saying? He's saying, look, if anybody needs to recline at table, if anybody has a right to recline at table, it's me. I mean, let's think of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who, when God spoke, let there be light, Jesus is the one who spoke. When when God created Adam, Jesus is the one who created Adam. He is the Word of God. Everything that God did, what did He do? How did He do it in Genesis chapter 1? He spoke. Everything we've experienced from God is through Jesus. He is the one in whom are all things and He holds all things together. He is the one who keeps us 
as bodies together. And He is the one who has come to the earth to redeem us. He is by far the greatest human being ever. He is leaps and bounds greater than anybody we can imagine. And yet, His coming to the earth was not an act of His own greatness, but of His service. And not only that, even though it's not in Luke, in this same story from the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus got up and laid aside His clothes and put on a towel and went around and washed His disciples' feet. That was the job for the lowest slave, again, the youngest and the greatest. Even slaves have hierarchies. And if you're the top dog on the slaves, you can say, I'm not washing anybody's feet. But the low guy in the totem pole, he can't help it. He's got to wash everybody's feet. And so he's washing it. But what did Jesus do? He washed their feet. There were no servants there. It would have been, it would have been the expectation that the, the youngest one, the lowest of the disciples, would have washed everybody's feet. But Jesus did it. And He told them, you don't understand what I've done to you. I've served you. As I've washed your feet, you go and wash one another's feet. Here He says, I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus the greatest person ever served us. He served them. He serves us continually now. He intercedes on our behalf in the throne room of God, the Father. He's our mediator, giving intercession upon Jesus, the greatest person ever. If there was ever somebody who didn't need to serve, it was Him. And yet He came as the servant of all. It shows us the shallowness of our, our country and, and our way of life and the way that we do things as people that, that such mediocre beings lorded over us. They've never sacrificed for you. If anything, they make your life harder. They're trying. Some of them are really trying not to make it. And I, I know, and it's, it's easy to rag on them, but I know if I had been elected to some position, I would do things that I thought were the greatest thing in the world that we needed to do, and it would cause unknown harm and damage in people's lives. It, it, you can't escape it. They're sinful human beings. Why do we elevate them so highly? When we have one who was perfect and who has never sinned and who loves us and sacrificed himself and who came for no other reason than to serve us, not just at table, but on the cross. He served us. If he does that, how should we behave? He serves all of us. If Jesus has done that, we should strive to serve as well. That's what he's saying to his disciples. Don't worry about who's the greatest. Some people are greater than others. That's just the way it is. But we all can strive and seek. How can we serve? How can we serve one another? How can we serve our community? How can we even serve those that we really don't like? Jesus died on the cross for those who were in open rebellion against him. He died on the cross for those who nailed his hands wood. 
So our need to serve isn't just to look at one another. How can I serve you? How can I serve God? How can I serve the people of the world I like? But maybe even, how can I serve those I really don't like? How can I show God's love to those that I would rather show God's wrath to? How can we serve one another today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have given us Your Word and You've given us Your Son. Lord, that He has served us, that He continues to serve us, that You serve us, that we we couldn't even live if You did not enable us to. You give us life, You give us breath, You give us uh, our homes and our food and our clothing. You provide our jobs for us. Lord, Lord, You are our hope. We pray today as You serve us that we would serve You. Lord, that we wouldn't be worried about and looking for who is the greatest or how can I get out of something since I obviously am too important for that. But Lord, I pray that our heart attitude would be that we could be servants. How, how wonderful would it be, Lord, If when we go to work, we're not the one trying to get somebody else to do something, but we're the one doing it for them. Lord, I pray that we would strive to serve one another. That we would look for the opportunity to serve each other as we serve You and and to do it with an attitude and a heart that desires for them to see You in us. To see that You have served us and so we serve them. Father, we pray for anyone today that You have served and they haven't acknowledged it. They haven't recognized Jesus' death on the cross. They haven't realized that He did that for them. Maybe their life is going ways they don't want it to. We pray, Father, that they would hear that You're there to guide them, to serve them, to help them. We pray that they would reach out to Jesus. He is our hope, Lord. He is the one who intercedes on our behalf, and He is the one through whom we pray. Amen.